Ciao et il benvenuto. Or, hello and welcome to Healthcare Marketing Insights for the week of April 19, 2010. That was Jackie Ritacco, Italian translator <laughs> extraordinaire. <laughs> and that of me, and Jackie, what does that mean officially? Hello and welcome. Say it again. Ciao ed, uh, I'm gonna, I, I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> Ciao ed il benvenuto. Boy, that's a lot for just hello and welcome. I know, right? Well, we better introduce ourselves before people lose track. You, go ahead and introduce yourself first since you're the Italian expert. My name is Jackie Rotaco. I'm a co-coordinator with Interval. This is uh, Adam Meyer, design director at Interval. And this is Chris Bevelo, president of Interval. We're the firm that puts on the Healthcare Marketing Insights podcast. And that was a great welcome. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> Good job. You're welcome. Benito and Vabanito. I think that right? I think that was way off. <laughs> it's a good thing I looked it up. Yes. Well, we we made that promise. You kind of staked a claim that you were going to figure out a couple podcasts ago, I think. I know. I can't believe I remembered here. So. So we had to fulfill our promise. Hopefully, no one's expert Italian speaker here because I'm sure it's. I probably mispronounced a few things, but. Oh well. They'll forgive we'll me. We'll find out. Yeah. I have a I have a, a relative named Marco Bevelo who is a Marco huge Bevelo. Bevelo. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very well known brand designer for I think he still works for Philips and he's Italian. He's over in Europe and I connected with him years ago. We're friends on Facebook, we never talk, but maybe he listens to this because we do have an international audience, I'm sure. <laughs> and he could weigh in as to whether that was correct. Oh, wow. I like yeah. his name. Yeah. That's All right. Italian. It is very Italian, as is Bevelo. Okay. So, <laughs> should we start talking about healthcare marketing? Let's do it. Okay. Truly. So, first, we want to once again uh, make sure you all know that the, the book that we just wrote, uh, Marketer's Guide to Measuring Results, is now officially out. We've been talking about it for probably a little over a month. Uh, but it finally hit the shelves, quote unquote. I don't know if it's on any actual shelves, but uh, <laughs> Friday. So Friday the 16th, I guess that would have been. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you had ordered one or you're ordering it, you should be getting it uh, soon. And if you want more information on the book, you can go to the microsite we have set up for it called uh, thinkmarketingmetrics.com. And as we mentioned, we're going to use the book as a foundation for lots of discussions, debates, arguments, questions, dialogue. Anything else? Pondering. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Musing. Contemplating. Yes. We're going to do all of that stuff via a few channels, uh, primarily through Facebook and LinkedIn groups. So we will uh, provide that information again. But one of the things, uh, now that the book is actually out, uh, people can read it, and then they'll be able to provide more feedback and questions and pondering once they have the content in their hands. Uh, one of the premises in the book is to finally put to rest this kind of mushy use of the term ROI. And we've talked about this on the podcast before, so we won't belabor it. Uh, but I'm pretty clear in the book about 
the need to use ROI in a specific way. And, and what that means is you could call it financial ROI. Uh, some folks, uh, the book that we're kind of basing all this on is David Marlowe's book, A Marketer's Guide to Measuring ROI. He calls it effort ROI. Uh, some folks call it marketing ROI. But the point is, if you're using ROI when it comes to measurement, uh, you should be talking specifically about the financial return of your effort. So basically, if you do something and it costs $100,000 for that marketing effort, uh, how much money are you bringing back in to the organization? Uh, that's an ROI calculation. Obviously, it's a lot more complicated than that, but in a nutshell, that's what it is. And what we find more often than not is people substitute ROI for other broader terms like results, measurement, effectiveness. Uh, so they may they may interchange those terms. And I think it's kind of a dangerous path to go down, like we've talked about before, right? Because if if you're saying, well, let's determine the ROI on this campaign, and you come back and you say, well, we had a million media impressions, uh, you could have folks within the organization, primarily your CEO or CFO, who go, that's not ROI. You said you were going to tell us what the ROI is, and that's not the ROI. Uh, so, so in one way, you're going to paint yourself into a corner with the people that think ROI uh, in financial terms. And really, it's also pretty restricting. You know, you want to talk about results uh, in many different ways. There are a lot of ways to prove the effectiveness of your marketing. Financial ROI may be the best way, kind of the holy grail is what you might call it. Uh, but it's not the only way, and it's often very difficult to actually measure financial ROI depending on the situation, the type of marketing efforts, uh, you know, you can't always do it. In fact, most of the times you can't. So we're trying to put a stake in the ground, a flag in the moon. Uh, what else? <laughs> what else do you do? <laughs> we're we're trying to just finally say, okay, enough's enough. Let's just, you know, moving forward, all use this consistently. So how do you think that's going to go, you guys? I don't know that you can flat out disagree. There might be people who look at it from a different angle, but I don't think you can really disagree with it. Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, you can't really disagree with the definition. In fact, the definition we've right. talked about is really not even the true definition of ROI from an investment finance standpoint. We won't even get into what that is. Uh, so you're right. I, I don't think you can disagree with it, but there may be people who say, ah, it's not that big a deal. You know, it's okay to interchange or, or kind of swap results for ROI and people know what you're talking about. Um, but I guess our contention is if we're going to be serious about this and we're going to try to use measurement to move our discipline forward, uh, that's a consistency we should all strive for. So we'll see what others think of that. It'll be great to get mm -hmm. feedback from other people because we make that argument pretty explicitly in the book. Mm -hmm. So that'll right. be one of the things we toss out there right away and just get other people's feedback on. So looking forward to hearing results on that. Okay, so results or ROI? What are we <laughs> looking forward to? <laughs> what is the ROI on that question? Okay, so here's another one that... This is going to be interesting conversation, I think. Did you guys, first of all, I'm going to ask um, before we describe this to the audience, Jackie and, and or Adam, did you see Sunday Star Tribune and the story that we're going to talk about that was called Choice of Hospital Can Put Odds Against You? Uh, I did not. Me. No, I didn't see it. Me either, no. Okay. And in, unfortunately, it's another one of those Star Tribune exclusives only in your Sunday <laughs> paper. <laughs> Which means it's not online, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, 
it will be, you know, usually I think they give it a few days, maybe a week at most. So we'll definitely post up a link to this. Uh, but, you know, we have talked for, at least I have in my presentations, and I think in general we all agree with this. We've talked for years about how difficult it is to differentiate a hospital based on quality. And when we say quality, we mean clinical quality in this case. Uh, there are a number of reasons for that. One is, you know, we would argue that there are exceptions to this, but quality is assumed by consumers. Mm -hmm. For the most part, right. they assume they're going to get good care. Uh, everybody claims quality. So, you know, everybody's got a billboard that says we're the top whatever, or we've just been rated three, you know, stars, whatever. Everybody has that. So really difficult to stand out. <laughs> And consumers have a really hard time understanding and valuing quality, uh, even given the plethora of information that's out there, uh, more so than ever before. It's You could argue now there's so much information, it's just more confusing. But they have a real hard time understanding what true clinical quality is, uh, right. and so they value on other things, experience, convenience, whatever. So, so we've been saying that for years, correct? You guys agree with all those? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. So the story in the Star Tribune, I don't think is earth shattering necessarily, but for some reason when I read it, it it was almost like one of those straw, you know, the straw that that breaks the camel's back for me and it, and it was a little bit of a slap in the face like, boy, maybe you need to rethink one of the one of those three premises we just talked about. The story basically is about uh, Hospital Compare, which is the government's website, you know, that shows uh, clinical quality, <clears throat> and you know any consumer can go find it. And the story basically here's the here's the opening. I'll read it for you. Uh, this, the headline: Choice of hospital can put odds against you. Subhead: Your chance of dying may depend on which hospital treats you. Data suggests the numbers are prompting head scratching, soul searching, and changes. So here's the first couple paragraphs. The two small town hospitals could hardly be more alike. Just 20 miles apart in southern Minnesota, they're both run by the Mayo Health System and even share some of the same doctors. Yet in Albert Lee, patients hospitalized with heart failure are twice as likely to die as those in neighboring Austin, government data show. That kind of gap may seem improbable, especially in a state known for first-rate medical care. But new ratings published by the federal government have found startling disparities in hospital performance all across Minnesota. So the, the story goes on to give more examples of that. Uh, of course, you know, those ratings are supposed to account for different levels of acuity. So in other words, if you're treating more difficult patients, more severe cases, uh, those comparisons are supposed to weight it for that. Mm -hmm. um, you can imagine some of the responses that you get from hospitals in this story, uh, which are basically saying, oh, those numbers don't tell the whole truth or they're, you know, they're, they're not complete or whatever. Uh, it's very interesting to hear from other uh, hospitals in the story, Alina, for example, great, great quote in here from uh, an executive at Alina, which is the largest system in Minnesota. It certainly creates the soul searching when you see those numbers, said Wheeler, Pam Wheeler is her name of Alina. It also pierces the myth that everyone is average. As one doctor told her, we were legends in our own minds. So they're actually taking this to heart. So, so that's the basis for the story. Uh, and what it made me think about is, you know, we've, it's fair to say we all know that quality varies, right? Mm -hmm. We know the reality of the situation, but, but we're talking about perception and consumers and how they value it. And my question is, 
Has the time come now where we can no longer assume that that consumers assume quality is the same? Uh, there've always been exceptions. So for example, uh, county hospitals, government run hospitals have always been kind of seen as lesser quality. Small town hospitals oftentimes are seen that way. There are some organizations such as the Mayo Clinic and the Cleveland Clinic, obviously, who have built a reputation and sustained it on quality. But generally speaking, uh, you know, the contention that, hey, if I go to hospital A, B, or C, I'm going to be treated pretty much the same quality-wise, given the plethora of information that's been out, quality ratings, uh, all the discussion of healthcare reform over the past year plus, where all the disparities in the systems are, are, are brought out, and then you know, more and more stories like this, it makes me wonder whether there's going to be a, a significant shift in people's mindset about quality of one hospital versus another. So what do you guys think? Do you think that is the case? Yeah, well, more than likely. I mean, I think as we, as we see, you know, gener- generations cycle through and you've got, um, you know, the baby boomers who are moving into retirement age or are, are into retirement age and uh, proceeding along that path. You've got uh, Gen Y, Gen X coming up, the mature generation. You know, well, mature generation is even after baby, hey. baby boomers, I should say. <laughs> but you've got, you've got these generations coming in who have different expectations, who have brought up to think differently about this stuff. You know, things are, yeah. they've, grown, they've grown up with the customer is always right mentality. It's not, it, it, that wasn't a, a phrase that they, it wasn't like a catchphrase that they heard all of a sudden, um, like it probably was mm-hmm. for the baby boomers and beyond. Um, so I think you're going to, you're going to see these generations who just have much higher expectations and who also are inherently skeptical and, and cynical when it comes to uh, big business, when it comes to government, when it comes to healthcare. Um, so right. I think that that alone, just that the whole, you know, what these, what these generations are bringing to the table is going to have a huge impact on, on that assumption. So I, I don't, I don't think so. I think we're, I think we're beyond the point where quality, quality is assumed. People might be doing more research definitely on it, given what's, given what's out there. But, you know, if you were to ask me, I would have assumed that if I would have gone to my community hospital versus, you know, maybe a larger, a larger one, it would, I would be treated the same or the clinical quality would be the same. So I don't know. Well, Adam, I I think you added a whole nother twist to it, which is that generational kind of perspective. Right. So, you know, if you contrast the baby boomers who basically took, you know, this is a huge stereotype generalization, but took their doctor's word as, you know, gold, you know, you tell me what to do and I'll do it versus Gen Y or the millennials, which is, uh, no way, you know, I'm, I'll figure it out on my own and I'll take what you say and I'll combine it with what I learned on my own and then I'll decide, uh, you know, that has as much to do with this as, you know, it's kind of all coming together at the same time, not coincidentally, I'm sure. So, mm-hmm. boy, I don't know. I, it just, for some reason, I don't know why this story, you know, it just leapt out at me. Like, I think the time has come to maybe put that assumption to rest. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean, okay, well, now you should go out and strive to differentiate yourself on quality because the other ones, uh, I think the other two kind of assumptions are still true. Everyone claims quality, 
Right. Uh, I, I don't. No hospital yeah, is going to. Well, that's and, go and yeah, and I and I, I think this what we're talking about is even is even more a reason that you cannot use quality as a differentiator because people, especially when it comes to you know generations that are skeptical and already a little bit cynical around that, they're going they're going to look at your message of of, of claiming that you're high, that you have that you the quality is your strength, and they're going to be like, uh, yeah, whatever. I'll you know I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, one of the analogies I've used in the past was promoting yourself based on quality is to to me or was to me the equivalent of an airline promoting itself on safety. Right. Right. You know, it's assumed. First of all, it's assumed. Second of all, I don't want to know <laughs> that there's differences in safety among airlines. Um, and so you shouldn't even go there. You shouldn't even raise the question that there are variances in safety if you're an airline, right? But yeah. but one of the differences I think may be that, you know, thank God planes don't fall out of the sky every day. You know, it's very rare when you are exposed to any kind of information that would make you think there is an issue with safety in airlines. So it's easier to almost be blind or naive to maybe the reality that people on the inside might say, well, gosh, you have no clue, you know, how many near misses there are and things fall out of a plane or whatever. You just don't hear about it very often. With healthcare, you know, planes are falling out of the sky every day, if you want to use the same analogy. I mean, there are more and more stories of, uh, again, because of healthcare reform, because of the internet, because of Adam's favorite phrase, Web 2.0, you know, (laughs) user-generated content, Um, the quality measurements that are out there. You're just seeing more and more data that is exposing the reality that we always knew, which is that it does vary from place to place. Uh, whether or not people can understand that uh, is still up in the air, but uh, it, it almost doesn't matter whether they can understand it from you know point A to point B or compare this statistic to this statistic. The bigger picture is, are they starting to form a different kind of uh, approach in their mind that, you know what, I can no longer assume and I need to assume that they're not, they're all different. And maybe I better do my homework. That would be the shift that is significant. Right. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what other folks think of that. And maybe that sounds like relate to the game. Like, duh. I mean, <laughs> this has been going on for a while. I, I guess I just don't, I have, I've never looked at it like there's a sea change or that there's a complete paradigm shift uh, to use other cliched term. Yeah. I guess, you know, uh, e- even though, even though, you know, if I, rant on generations and in myself being in, in, in those groups or, you know, well, one of those groups, um, I don't know. Yeah. I think I, I'm actually looking for a dentist right now in the area that uh, we just moved to out here in Bayport. And, you know, I'm just, I, I guess part of me, part of me assumes is, does this still assume quality? Cause I mean, I know I'm kind of like, just, I, I mean, I'm in the mode where I'm going to open the phone book and I'm just going to point at one and I'm going to go there. Because I, I don't really plan wow. to, to research that. I'm just going. I'm you know at, at the basic level. I'm assuming they're all going to be pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, your dentist might be a little bit different than somebody who's going to perform you know surgery. But uh, I don't know. I guess I guess part of me still assumes some quality on some level within within the system. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm wondering what other folks will will say to that, and it'd be interesting to get some feedback on it, but it, it was an interesting story. I, I, I definitely will post it when it gets up there, but 
I don't think the idea that you know these ratings are demonstrating that hospitals are different is necessarily new. Uh, again, it's kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me. But there is some great content in there, uh, some feedback from some providers that were very, you know, some were, of course, doing the, the duck and dodge saying, well, that doesn't count for this, whatever, like I said before. But there was some really um, honest feedback on it. And I think that's a good thing. So, so hopefully you'll get a chance to read it if they ever put it online. All right. So one more thing. You guys up for one more? Sure. Sure. I want to get your, I want to get your feedback on this. I'm calling it the social media block of the week. (laughs) Okay. We haven't talked about social media in a while. Have we? Yeah, we haven't. Not, uh, Not in length. No. And we won't talk about it in length today either, but uh, I just thought this was a really this was a new one on me, uh, and we've talked before about the, you know, the difficulty of hospitals to get on or use uh, social media channels, so Facebook, Twitter, what have you, mm-hmm. uh, because they have folks in compliance or legal that are scared, pantless, of you know, well, gosh, we don't want to give people a form to say something bad, and there's there's a you know, there's two dozen reasons that are given and usually you can knock down each one of them. Uh, It doesn't change the fact that still you have the majority of hospitals that aren't able to get out there. But this was a new one on me. So I wanted to throw it at you. I met a woman. uh, I will protect her name and her organization so she won't get in trouble. Uh, But I met a woman uh, at the Forum for Healthcare Strategist Conference that I spoke at last week in Atlanta. Uh, And she was talking about how her uh, compliance department did not want them to open up Facebook or Twitter because the fear was a nurse could post something. Let's say a nurse posted something negative on uh, one of these forums and the hospital would be forced to take it down. And that alone could break some kind of guideline or regulation that could cost the system their nurse magnet status. And so there are, you know, I just was like, wow, there's just a new one every day. Have, you, have either of yeah. you ever heard of that? Adam, I know, you're, you know your wife's a nurse. Have you ever heard of something like that? What, I'm a little confused as to what, I mean, are they just, is there thought that they're going to create a, a Twitter account and they're going to let every nurse and doctor and employee post to that particular account? It's kind of, I, I'm not sure where their, where their fear comes like. in. I mean, typically, well, you, typically you create... You know, if you have an account, you've got a, a person or a couple of people who manage that account, and they act as the filter to what goes up there to, to some extent. Right. I, I guess the scenario would be if you had a Facebook page and you have comment, you know, you allow for comments, which you should. Right. And somebody from, you know, a nurse says, well, you know, this is wrong, or I had, you know... I don't support this, or whatever the case is. Sure. No, yeah, I could see that um, being a problem. So it could that could happen. Uh, the next part of the scenario is one that I'm not sure should happen, which is you take it down. I mean, Uh, you know, you you don't take things down in the swim because whatever you put out there is out there. Um, you know, if you, if you've got, uh, if, if it's a, a Twitter account, people, you know, there's an RSS feed of that. And if, if somebody who's subscribed to your RSS feed, RSS feed has already, you know, gathered that information, it's in their reader. It's there. It's documented. It's not going anywhere. If somebody took a screenshot of what you said, they've got that. You know, it just, right. it's just going to make you look bad if you take something down that you put up. 
Um, yeah. The the, the, well, the real way to address it is to to address it straight on. Answer, you know, tell yes. say what happened and do not take it down. You leave it up. Right. So so what? So there's a possibility that the scenario could be that they filter it in the first <clears> place. So you know, and you have to filter some comments because if somebody's out there swearing or oh yeah, yeah. moderation, you have, to, you have to moderate that yeah. stuff. So, yeah. so, you know, let's assume that that's even the case. Uh, so a nurse posts something and it gets filtered and they don't post it. Uh, you know, nobody at the table that we were at had an answer for whether that actually would threaten your magnet status. Uh, you know, basically had something to do with, well, you're, you're, you're squelching a nurse's ability to provide feedback and that, you know, it goes against what it takes to have magnet mm. status, and therefore you could lose it. I, I don't know. I just was a new one to me, and I thought I'd put it out there and see if others had experience with it. Well, I think the the real question would be to contact the what's what's the organization that even provides that designation. Uh, I can't remember, but I thought the woman said that she had done that. And that her indication was no, that wouldn't be the case. But of course, you know that wasn't enough to satiate the legal folk. Right. I can't remember who, or if there's only one. Is there only one magnet organization? I think, I think so, but I, I, I certainly can't say that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. I guess that would be my first inclination would be to ask them, put throw a couple of scenarios in front of them, and ask if these in any way would have could have no, you know, negative ramifications. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it still goes back to your to your point, though, Adam. I mean, even if it's a filtering situation, if you have clear guidelines for your social media posting, such as no profanity, yeah. whatever, and somebody, no matter who it is, breaks those rules, I can't imagine that that would um, threaten some kind of magnet status. And if it's not that, if it's a nurse who's just saying something critical, uh, you kind of have to, you know, if, if you're going to be on social media, you have to be, not only do you have to be open to that possibility, you have to assume it's going to happen and you right. actually almost have to embrace it. You have to go, you know what? I'd rather have this happen here where I know it's going to, ha- where I know it's going on than somewhere else on the comment section of a newspaper article on, you know, just Twitter in general or Facebook in general, please bring that to us. We'd rather hear it directly so we can respond to it. So, you know, that's the kind of approach you want to have. But of course, like somebody said at the table, legal is awfully good at telling you what you can't do. Uh, and if you just ran your life by what you can't do, you sure wouldn't get very far. Right. Right. So maybe somebody out there has got some experience with that and can chime in, uh, post a comment or something. But, uh, you know, she was very, she was struggling with it mightily and, uh, I think the bigger problem is even if she found a, <laughs> even if she had a definitive answer for it, there would just be one more hurdle put up because clearly it's <laughs> it's less about trying to make it work than it is just you know finding the easiest way to block the social media block. I was going to use a different phrase, yeah. but I better be careful. <laughs> this is a, this is a family show. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. All right, well we should probably end on that note, huh? Sounds good. All right, you guys. Well, thanks for joining again, and thanks for all the audience members joining, and we will be back next week. So for Healthcare Marketing Insights, this is Chris Bevelo. Adam Meyer. Jackie Ritackle. Talk to you soon. See ya. Arrivederci. Arrivederci.